Hello and welcome to the CEO as Activist podcast series brought to you by Business in the Community Ireland, the country's leading network for sustainable business. In this series, we will examine the emerging role of CEOs as activists in solving today's big challenges such as climate change, social inclusion and diversity, to name a few. On November the 14th, at our 11th annual CEO Breakfast Forum, we held two panel sessions exploring these challenges. Today, we'd like to go back to the inspiring and straight-talking morning and hear the panel on social inclusion and how the CEOs from ESB, Lidl Ireland and Sodexo are actively involved in solving these challenges and creating a more inclusive society. The panel was chaired by our Head of Marketing, Moira Horgan. Good morning, everybody. How are you? I'm Moira Horgan. I'm Head of Marketing with Business in the Community. Before I call up my illustrious panel, I just want to pause for a second and give context to our discussion. As Thomas said, Larry Fink, the CEO of that very small asset management company, BlackRock, he actually said, this was the line in his letter, for the future success of your business, it's not just about financial performance, it's about your contribution to society. In a year where we saw the emergence of the trillion dollar company, Apple and Amazon, a lot of commentary was about what's their social contract, what's their responsibility to society of being such a mega huge company. In the last two months alone, there have been articles in the Harvard Business Review, Fortune magazine, uh, The Economist, Newsweek, all about CEO as activist. Just two weeks ago, Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, the real activist, he wrote a very hard-hitting op-ed in the New York Times about the need for companies, the big tech giants, to do something about the homelessness epidemic in San Francisco. The average one-bed rent in that city is 3,500 a month. The average house price has escalated to 1.6 million. How are the marginalized supposed to survive in a city like that? And he's now publicly calling out other CEOs like Jack Dorsey on Twitter or Stripe and actually saying, what are you doing about it? Who would have thought that CEOs would be calling out each other on these societal issues? But let's not just focus on America. We have amazing examples. So JP, Pat, Margot, can I ask you to join me on stage? Uh, can we have a round of applause as they come on up? Thanks. <clears throat> So as they join me, um, Margot Slashery is the MD of Sodexo. Margot, do you want to join me? <coughs> and uh, Margot, Sodexo achieved the business working response we marked for the first time last year. And therefore, she's a member of the Leaders Group in Sustainability. And Margot joined the board of business in the community earlier on this year. And then I want to turn to JP Scally, the CEO of Lidl. We've been working with Lidl probably last 18 months, two years on really interesting a sustainability strategy and materiality assessment. And then last but by no means least, it's Pat O'Doherty, the CEO of ESB. ESB was one of the founding fathers of business in the community and they've achieved the mark three times. And Pat too is a leader of the sustain leaders group in sustainability. JP, can I start with you? The connection between business and the place it operates, I think really came into the spotlight in March this year when we had Storm Emma, it seems so long ago and your store in Fortunestown was vandalized. We all remember that YouTube footage of a JCB uh, ransacking your store. <clears throat> and it caused a lot of commentary about the role of business in a marginalized, economically deprived society uh, or area like Fortunestown. From you personally, and then as a CEO of your business, did that spark something in you? It did, it's a date 
I'll never forget. I think anybody involved uh, in our business um, will never forget the events of that day. Our initial reaction, of course, was one of shock and, and disgust at what had happened, and our primary concern initially was the safety of everyone involved, whether they be uh, criminal or not. Uh, we wanted to ensure there was no uh, injury as a result of the incident. And once we had confirmed that there was no injury, our thoughts then turned to the, um, the team from the store mm. um, about their future. And uh, we made sure that the subsequent days that they were looked after and that they were assured that they would have a place in our business somewhere. And that's the advantage, of course, of being a relatively large business that we could accommodate them elsewhere. I suppose when all that had dissipated then after a few days, um, what I wasn't expecting and what, what really surprised us was the outpouring of emotion from the community. Yeah. We had expected it internally in the company and we prepared for that, but we hadn't expected the reaction that we got from the local community. Um, we had people calling to the doors of our head office, um, asking what way they could support. We had people, genuinely local people, who asked if they could help rebuild the store. Really? Um, skilled and unskilled people who wanted to come and, and play a part in rebuilding the store for us. We had people who sent flowers, sent cards, um, and people who actually came to the store and, and were crying in the subsequent days as customers because it was part of their community. That was hugely shocking mm. for us that we hadn't realized just how important we were to our customers. We knew how important we were to other stakeholders, but to our customers, uh, probably we'd, we weren't aware of just how, how crucial we were to them. Um, that made us think, and, and you know, some quick uh, reaction to that was to put a bus service in place to take them to alternative stores, etc. But then um, we were, of course, the, the pressure was on to make a decision as to whether we would rebuild in the community. And that was um, a difficult decision for us to make initially, but when we saw the level of support that was there in the community, it made it very, very easy. So um, we had people who told us that their lives, their quality of life would be different if we didn't rebuild our store in their community because of the, the, the service that we provide them, because of the fact they may not have had transport. Um, so uh, it made our decision, I suppose, relatively easy in terms mm. of, of rebuilding the store. And I suppose it's, it's taken another uh, twist this week only where our store manager from that store, Ruth, has been nominated as Tala Person of the Year oh, this wow. year, which again was a, a real recognition, I suppose, for her and for the team of just how important they've been in the community. So it, changed, it did change our approach, to get back to your question, change our approach to, to, to the communities in which we operate. We already knew we had a, um, a huge responsibility in terms of playing a part in communities and supporting communities through sponsorship, through charity activities, etc. But now we have a much deeper understanding of just how important it is for us to be aware of the community in which we operate and mm. to support the community in any way possible because of the support that they have shown us. And there's a responsibility there. I mean, Pat, you temporarily moved your HQ of ESB onto Eastwall Road. I think 2,000 staff uh, were brought into that area. You're moving back into Fitzwilliam Street, January 2020. Did that open your eyes to the responsibility of a business in a, a community like that? Yeah, I suppose at the level of that, like we, we moved from uh, Fitzwilliam Street from Dublin 2 over to Dublin 1 over yeah. to North Inner City, and we're one, we were one of the first large businesses to move to that particular part of the city. And you see just the impact of bringing over a thousand people to, that, to a part of the city that you know, is underdeveloped. Um, so at a very simple level, you see it in you know, the local spa has trebled in size. Uh, we shop in Lidl. There's a new Lidl there, <laughs> by the way. And there's an Aldi there as there's well. There's an Aldi so, there as well. Just <laughs> a few of Aldi's here, so there's both. Um, so, you know, but that, you know, so you can see it. And you, like you, don't, you didn't see that when you're over buried in the business quarter, if you like. Yes. So the impact of 1,000 people or 1,500 people kind of around Stevens Green and around Baggett Street is you, you, you don't see it as much as you see it when you go into that kind of a community. 
But if I take it up a level, uh, like for us and what we do, uh, we're, we're anchored in every community in Ireland. Like yeah. we've we we we've we nearly 100 depots. Uh, our staff come from every community in Ireland, and as we say, we're in every farmer's field in Ireland. We can't do what we do without the support of the communities in which we operate. So we will be judged, you know, we will be judged in reputation terms on how we deal with those communities, how we deal with our customers, so customers who find a difficulty from time to time in paying for their electricity or gas, and the way in which we deal with those is all part of who we are and what we are. So, you know, so this thing about people in place and the, the link between business and the community is more than just the bottom line. Absolutely. And we will be judged, our businesses increasingly will be judged on how we deal with communities because we depend on those communities for what we do. Yeah, and I want to get back to reputation and the bottom line in a moment, actually. Mm. Margot, yet again, you've been named in the top 100 list in Financial Times LGBT leaders. It's a global list, and Margot's been on the list five years in a row, number nine this year, which is an amazing achievement. So you're an activist with a capital A, but both as a, a person and as a CEO of, uh, of Sodexo, which is a huge multinational company, how do you kind of square the circle on that? How do you bring that activism to your job? Well, I guess I'm, and, and by the way, I'm CEO for Ireland, <laughs> just in case uh, Denise would think I had uh, gone into promotion. Yeah. Um, I, I guess for me, um, that's been something that's evolved over a number of years. First of all, it's been really important to work for an organization whose values espouse my values. And that's easily said, but mm. it, it, it's very different in reality. Um, and I guess one of the things that really has helped me in that is that the organization gives me a bit of bandwidth um, to get involved in things that I personally see as important. So um, I'm involved in a number of organizations like BITCI, et cetera, and they are the kind of organizations that espouse my values. And therefore, I can, I suppose, blend that into my working life and make sure that then I bring that back into what we do. And then obviously, the opportunity is to challenge some of the things that we do. So an example will be at the moment, and you know, it kind of comes back to the discussion you were having this morning about San Francisco. We have a very live example in Dublin. We have a, you know, probably over a thousand people working for us in Dublin. Um, it's becoming really expensive to live here. Oh. The people who work for us work in a service industry. Yep. It's not a high-paying industry. A lot of people are on the minimum wage, etc. So that's my one of my challenges at the moment is how do we you know, we're trying to encourage people, we're trying to support, we're creating jobs, and at the same time, it's becoming very expensive for them to live and work here. So what part can I do in helping to make that a change in that or call it out or talk about things like a living wage and, you know, Absolutely. I suppose have some challenging discussions about how do we afford for people to have a life? It's a huge if issue. If it's even yeah. possible. Yeah, it's the working poor, as they're calling it now. Yeah. And actually, it brings me um, over to you, JP. One of the most fundamental things that a business can do is employ people. And employing people from non-traditional routes is definitely something business the community has been advocating for the past nigh on 20 years. You got involved with the Ready for Work program. And that's a program that we run in business the community, which actually helps homeless people get back to work, because that's how you break the cycle of poverty. And homelessness is the number one issue out there, and it'll probably definitely influence, I think, any future election results. You got involved, uh, you took a punt, uh, you took seven people on in work placements. Why did you decide to get involved in that initiative? I suppose the main reason was because we felt it was the right thing to do, and I know that's a term that's 
bandied around mm. quite a bit, but it is the right thing to do. We do live in a, an unequal and an unfair society and becoming much more visible, I suppose, through the homelessness uh, crisis. And we had discussions internally um, that we felt we didn't have enough diversity in how we found people to work within the organization. We had the, the standard channels of our uh, recruitment website and our Facebook adverts and our LinkedIn and whatnot, but we didn't feel that that was diverse enough or the right way of bringing a diverse uh, culture into the organization. So with yourselves, with business in the community, we found the Ready for Work program and thought it was a great opportunity to bring a different kind of person into our organization from a different background. Um, so as you say, we partnered earlier this year and brought seven people into business and it has been a resounding success and the way I know as CEO that it's been a success is when I hear the store managers and the area managers who were involved in the program coming back saying can we get more, when can we get more, when are we taking in the next, next batch and that's what I've been hearing over the past uh, few weeks in particular and um, we had one good example of it was a, essentially a four-week placement initially that was uh, trialed for people from whether it be homelessness, refugee, addiction background, etc. Yep. Um, and uh, one of those uh, individuals in particular has been um, become a bit of a superstar in, in the company, Mohammed, who was oh, a, um, a Libyan refugee who found himself homeless uh, in Ireland, now has a full-time job with us in our Cork Street store. And I think what he has done to the team in that store is something that is, I suppose, most relevant for us. He's gelled the team, he's brought them together to show them a sense of purpose that maybe they didn't have otherwise or wouldn't have had otherwise. So wow. the advantage is not just in doing the right thing and giving someone an opportunity that they might not otherwise have, but it's also about creating engagement within our own workforce and giving our own teams uh, an opportunity to see that they can do good beyond what they might expect in their daily work. And you're taking on 12 next year, right? We're taking on at least 12 next year, yeah. Fantastic, and I should, yes, thank you. Um, and I should say, yeah, Mohammed uh, from Libya uh, was homeless for two years, actually. He was living in emergency accommodation, and now he's, uh, he's going to be the most loyal, proudest employee you're ever going to have. And I do want to give a shout-out to Marks and Spencers. I know Carmel McQuaid is here. M&S actually initially funded the Ready For Work program. It's been going on 18 years. It's our longest program. Uh, and it's great to have new companies sign up, and we encourage all companies to sign up. That's my plug for the morning. Um, Pat, can I come to you? Uh, you're also involved in a business community initiative called Time to Read. And it's really working on literacy. We partner businesses with primary schools around Ireland. It's a huge success. We're looking at Time to Count, which will be about numeracy. You're involved in Generation Tomorrow, which is about STEAM and STEM. Why are you a CEO and ESB as a company kind of placing your bets on literacy, numeracy, STEM? What's in it for the business? I, I suppose, um we, we, we look at social uh, inclusion through a couple of different lenses, and the first lens we look at it through is the lens of our business. So the nature of our business is electricity, so we, we charge everybody in the room here for using kilowatt hours, but it's not about kilowatt hours, it's about what people do with them. And that's, that's you know, deep in the psyche of the company. The company was founded over 90 years ago to bring um, societal and economic development to the country based on electricity. Rural electrification transformed the whole of rural Ireland. Um, and the biggest challenge facing our business today is that of climate change. We are the biggest uh, carbon emitter in, in the country. Electricity generation is, 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 a, is a cause of, of, of greenhouse gases. Uh, so we have to turn our business on its head and we have to lead a transition to a low carbon future. It is accepted today that the electrification of industry and of society will lead to a decarbonized economy, but the electricity industry has to get its house in order first. 
so we, our ambition is to lead that transition. To lead that transition, we have to bring everybody with us. Mm. We have to do the right thing ourselves and be exemplars of sustainability. We're doing a lot of work on that. Um, but also we have to hook, I suppose, the interest and the imagination of the whole of society. So what we do and how we do it and that deep sense of purpose is important. Um, and as an advocate, I will advocate for the I will I will be an advocate for the business for the best interest of the business. But I have to be able to prove that that is a link to the greater good of society. That's what electricity is all about. So the other lens then is about I, I suppose the, the the employee of the future, and you know, we we need to we need good people. We need people from diverse backgrounds to solve that biggest problem called climate change. Yeah. Our employee base has to be representative of the whole of society and all of the customers we have to, you know, we, we have to serve. So we, we believe that education as occasion as a route out of disadvantage and into advantage. It, and it starts at primary level. So working with yourselves on the time to read program, the time to count program, where our people, our staff go into schools and they help, people, help young children with numeracy and literacy. Numeracy, literacy is the foundation of everything to do yeah. with education. And numeracy is the foundation of science and technology. As a company, we have been a huge beneficiary of the Irish education system, and we believe that, it, that we must, and all businesses, particularly large businesses, should work with educators, should work with government and policymakers to, you know, to grow the technologists and the problem solvers of the future. Our Generation Tomorrow programme is a collaboration uh, with a number of entities, in particular uh, TechSpace, which is a, a kind of a leading kind of social uh, kind of, or, you know, a kind of a social movement uh, wor working with organizations, voluntary organizations throughout the country to introduce uh, youth to technology. Mm. Um, and then uh, with, with the RDS, our, 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 our science blast was advertised on the radio this morning, if anybody heard it coming in. And it's, it's kind of encouraging inquiry, scientific inquiry among primary children about you know, asking them, getting them to ask fundamental questions around the world we live in and why things do what they do. But this is all about, this is all about, I suppose, introducing people, introducing people at a very, very young age to the problems that we as a society face. And Margot, you told me a very interesting story about uh, so that takes quite, you know, solid status on some social issues. So tell me about the recent Brazil elections. I know all the results of that. I, I, on behalf of Sodexo, I'm involved in an organization in the US. I'm on the board of an organization called Out and Equal. So, um, and about 35 companies that were involved in Out and Equal and who have businesses in Brazil got together. Um, and basically, we created an open letter. We wrote to every one of the political candidates in Brazil and then published a statement and got all of the companies to sign up. So these companies are pretty big. It's Coca-Cola, JP Morgan, Sodexo, and a number of others, all very large employers, employing thousands upon thousands of people in Brazil, and published this open letter in all the newspapers in Brazil over a series of weeks. So what we were doing was really putting out something and saying, this is what we believe in. Mm. Um, and just like sort of all the points I think picked up by the other speakers this morning, you know, we have a duty about the workers who work for us. And for us as an organization, it's all about the people who work for us. Um, and uh, we're saying that this, there's a sort of a level where we're at, we're not prepared to go down. And if you want to continue to have companies to invest in Brazil, then you know, this is the power of 35 companies. So we can, we, we can make them change, but what we can do is put a flag up and say, this is a, there's a line in the sand here. And you know, for our organization that 
now things that have happened in Brazil, I suppose we will consider investment there and we will think about that. And we're not walking away from our people because we can't do that. Sure. But we will continue to agitate and stand. And we've done the same in the US as well around supplier base and things like that and made wow. changes because I suppose they were the ethical things to do, the right things to do and to stand behind decisions. It's putting a line in the sand. Yeah, no, it's, yeah, it's really interesting actually. It takes bravery. Yeah. Um, I want to get back to collaboration in a second, but JP, I want to talk to you just about, uh, and Pat mentioned it, the importance of reputation. Um, because it's not just about price anymore. Reputation is very intangible. It's very hard to kind of quantify. But how do you find that your activism, with a small a or capital uh, A, how do you find that actually kind of feeds into the reputation of Little? In Ireland, 47% um, of a company's reputation is made up of their uh, activity in the sustainability yep. sphere. I would never describe myself as an activist, but I think we have an opportunity uh, as CEOs to make a difference. And you know, when you think about activists or talk about activists, you're thinking about lobbying, you're thinking about campaigning. The advantage of being a CEO, depending on the uh, level of politics perhaps within your organization, is quite often you can make a difference with the stroke of a pen. Uh, it doesn't involve uh, months or years of lobbying or campaigning. So I think we are so in a unique position to make a difference. Pat, would you call yourself an activist? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see the day? I, I, no, I, uh, I'm active. <laughs> <laughs> I'm active in lots of things, and I suppose it's, it's back to point you. I, I think it's what we do. Um, you know, we, we're, we're in an extraordinary position of influence in our roles. I, I'm privileged to be a CEO of a very, very large national organisation, yeah. so it's a deep privilege and I have, I have an extraordinary reach within the company and outside of the company. So I have to embody the company. Uh, I, you know, as I face into the company or as I face out, I am the embodiment of the company um, in all its, its values and the protector of its reputation. And as I said earlier, I will be judged by my actions and by my activities by others. And I think that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the real test of this. Um, I, I, I think... In, in the complex world that we live in today, businesses you know, should work together. We should be active with each other uh, and collaborate. The word's been used, collaborate. I think, you know, sometimes I think there's a tendency for businesses to wait for government to take the lead. Yeah. Government cannot take the lead on everything. We're working together as CEOs, we bring extraordinary resources to the table. Uh, and we can be ahead of government, we can work with government, and we can get things done when we put our minds up by working together and I think we should be active and activists together and let us be judged then by you know others will judge us our staff will judge us like my, my staff want to work for a company that puts its reputation on the line and walks to talk about that they want to work with a company and for a company increasingly now with the people we recruit into the company want to work with a company that has a deep sense of social being and social uh, social conscience and a deep sense of purpose and that is the challenge for all of us as CEOs to walk that talk. That's absolutely right, because purpose is the big thing. You're all fighting for talent out there. And how do you differentiate yourself brand-wise as well? And last thing you want is, uh, you know, employees walking out and, and staging a protest, and that makes the national headline. So it is about purpose and values. Uh, Margot, I'm going to finish up with you. Just You are a member of the Leaders Group in Sustainability. Uh, Pat actually hosted the last Leaders Group meeting. What... Uh, Part of the group, there's three areas that the leaders group is working on. Transition to low carbon economy, and Bernadette's going to be talking about that momentarily. Worker of the future, chaired by Alistair Blair. 
and Wimp from KBC, and then Ken Scully from Marks and Spencers and Sinead Patton from Veolia are heading out on the social inclusion agenda. As part of that leaders group of the 26 leaders, what do you want to achieve as a group? Well, I think um, if you look at it, it, it's to make change, but sustainable change, and, and we're talking about sustainability here. It's got to be something that you know has has has, has stickiness that's going to be able to, um, you know, it'll go and work much longer than us. It's going to be around, and it'll make yeah. for difference. Um, I've I've always sort of seen that you know you can do amazing things. I think in small things and incremental steps. So, you know, and I pick up some of the points that the others made. In Ireland, you know, it's about things like your supply chain. I come from, a, I come from the country, I'm from County Limerick, I'm from a farming background. I've seen, even in our own organisation, by buying Irish food, what a difference you can make. Um, by employing people, by opening your mind to employing people who maybe come at things from a different perspective. Um, and, and just bit by bit by bit. So I think this group, really, the most important thing is that we, we set out some vision, which we have done. We then, if you like, put the steps together and put the foundations and the platform on it and then start doing it. And, you know, JFDI, start making it happen. Um, and get behind it then and don't walk away because that's also incredibly important um great you know to do the pr part of it but we've got to do it for the long term and there's a lot of heavy lifting in that and make sure then we bring others to it and Absolutely. i suppose be evangelists for change and it takes courage it does take courage and yeah. it takes authenticity and we're going to be making very exciting announcements about the social inclusion group early next year so I'm going to thank my panel, but before I leave you go, uh, we believe at Business in the Community that a broken society is bad for business. Or a different way of saying it is when society flourishes, business will succeed. It takes leaders like my three illustrious panel members to drive that change. And we hope you got inspired and we hope it's food for thought. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. Follow us next week as we will be releasing a second episode from the CEO as Activist series, which will focus on how CEOs are leading the transition to a low-carbon economy.